All right. Turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're back in the book of 1 Timothy after a couple weeks off. We're going to be finishing chapter 1 today. So if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, please. It'll make me more tolerable if you could follow along. Um, because we've been out of this for a couple weeks and we're finishing the chapter, I want to be, under, be in context. So we're actually going to read the whole chapter and then we're going to study the last three verses. Uh, but I think the, the context of the chapter is very important to understand um, these last three verses of 18 to 20. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of father and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Have faith, having faith and a good conscience, which some have re having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, again, we thank you continually for your word. It is so perfect in every way. Thank you that you have preserved it for us all these years, that we could have it today to understand you, to deepen our relationship with you, and certainly to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ to do things in a way that glorifies you, that reveals our sin to us, that we may cease and change and live holy lives. Lord, bless our time this morning in your word. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Excuse me. I've never been able to read that verse, and it's really hard to read with tears in your eyes. All right. So um, 
the context of the book that we want to keep in mind as we go through this and we tear things apart in middle school and then build them back up is this is a letter about the church, okay? Um, Timothy has been sent to Ephesus because there's problems in the church. So when we, we're going to read some things, there's going to be some things that I'm hoping we're going to bring out that are very encouraging. There's going to be some things that are very challenging and some things that might even be difficult. Um, but that's what the Word of God is for. We're not here to just take what's good and happy and easy and, and f- ignore the hard stuff. Um, it, it amazed me. I, I was, as I was meditating on this book, it really struck me, what would it have been like 2,000 years ago with no New Testament? Think about that. Almost everything we do now is focused on the New Testament because it reveals Jesus Christ and it talks about Jesus Christ and he's the center of our worship. But could you imagine if we were together right now with no New Testament, and all I could do is stand up here is with the Old Testament and reveal Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, and we had all the things we had to deal with without something like this to guide us. It must have been really hard for guys like Paul and Timothy. They're in cultures like Ephesus and Corinth and these places that are so wickedly carnal. They are so evil. The sexual immorality, the the public displays of immorality the wickedness that they were unashamed of, and they're taking people out of this world, and they're converting them into Jesus Christ, into his kingdom. There's a lot of stuff for them to deal with. So isn't it great we don't have to deal with that anymore? Man has not changed since the garden. Genesis 3, right? Uh, we don't, don't forget that. We're, we're the same. For thousands of years, we're the same. And we take people out of the world now, and they come to Jesus Christ, and they're coming out of the same wickedness. I came out of the same wickedness. I came out of the same wickedness. I love so much, and I appreciate so much. One of the reasons why I want to read the chapter for context, it's beautiful the way Paul drops his testimony in there as he's charging Timothy. And it's not just to say, I'm saying this because I'm saved, so you have to listen to me. The basis of all this is the fact that we are all wicked, and we are all saved. And as he talks to Timothy about how to deal with difficult people and the problems they bring into the church, don't forget we all come from the same place. This is not about personal problems. This is about righteousness before God and obeying God's word. And so I've, part of what I'm thinking Timothy, Paul's saying to Timothy is, you're dealing with these difficult people who cause a lot of problems, but we're always coming from the foundation. Timothy, me, Alexander, Hymenius, we are saved because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we all come from that place. I think it's important to recognize the perspective when we talk about some of these things that we're going to have to talk about. Paul is also writing about the church. This is a church he, I believe he started in Acts 19. If you want to look up historically, is when Paul was in Ephesus. And there was the big riot there, and he had to, he had to leave town. Um, if, if I believe the timelines are correct, by the way, that was probably around the mid-50s A.D. The letter to Ephesians, we believe, was written around 60 A.D. And this letter may have been even written a couple years after that. So this is the time frame. So think about all that's happened, and he's still dealing with this stuff. He wrote about this stuff in his letter years earlier. He taught them when he was there. And yet he's still dealing with these same people problems. And we still have them today. That's why we have this word and why we have to stick to the word of God. It's not about what man wants. It's not about personal feelings. 
But what does God's word say? And are we going to trust it? Because it's important. He wants to protect the name of the Lord. He wants to protect the church. He wants to uphold the word of God. And so do we. But it's all done from a place of humility. And a love for one another and love for God. So after his... He begins with charging Timothy to, to commit to the things that he's told him about dealing with false teachers. And then he gives his testimony, a reminder of who he is in Christ. And it's also important to remember that he's refuting false teaching. The false teaching is focusing on, back then, legal, legalism, works. You've got to convert to Judaism, or you've got to do these things to be saved. So it's important that Paul reminds Timothy, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It is not of any works. It is Christ alone. So he brings that into his mind as well. So now we're back to his, his encouragement to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I, this charge I commit to you, and he calls him son. Son Timothy, you're not my employee. You don't work for me here in the church. I'm not giving you orders as a boss. I'm a father figure to you. You're a son figure to me. So when we see things like I charge you and I commit you and, and command you to do these things, he's telling them in love. He's encouraging him. I commit to you. He's encouraging. He's not coercing. It's important to remember in the church as we try to encourage each other to be involved and do things in the church, to serve the Lord, to do what we're told to do, to what we're asked to do by the Lord, that we do it through encouragement and not coercion. No one should ever feel pressured to serve the Lord. I don't think Paul's doing that here at all. He's just reminding him that there was a time when you and I started out in ministry together, there's prophecies made concerning you. And I'm committing you to stick to that. prophecies. We don't know exactly what happened with Timothy back then. I don't know if someone had a vision and came down and said, I see in you, you're going to go to Ephesus and serve the Lord. I, I don't know. Or they just said, you're going to serve the Lord and teach people. I, I don't know what the prophecy was. We, we don't know exactly what was said to Timothy, but we do know that Timothy was committed to serve God. He agreed to it. He was prayed over and he was sent out to do work with Paul. The thing we want to remember, if I listen to this, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. This is true for all of us. Um, here's, here's an example of, of how prophecy, you know, it, the word prophecy, we try and interpret it now, what it meant 2,000 years ago, and I think we've lost it. I, I don't know how we exactly interpret it. Okay, um, it could be something that's spoken, could be something that's thought of as going to come true. Remember, a prophet who speaks of the future has to have everything they say come true, or they're not a prophet. So, is that what happened? I don't think so. I think what happened is someone encouraged Timothy to serve God. In First Corinthians fourteen three, we see, "But he who prophesies speaks edification, and exhortation, and comfort to men." 
And this is what was done to Timothy. He was encouraged and edified to go forward and serve God in the way that God planned for him. Paul's reminding him to stick to this. For us today, there are some who are clearly gifted and called out, and they're very public in their ministry. And um, we encourage them to do things. But I think, we've talked about this probably many times too, the challenge we still have, I think that more of us need to know how to serve God. I think more of us need to realize that we all need to be committed to the charge given to us by God. But what is my charge? What is my charge? That's what each one of us has to find out. If you're, if you're drawn to something to serve God in a certain way, that's probably where your gifts are, and you should pursue them. Um, we, we met someone here. I won't tell you the details of why, but uh, from outside the church, we had a meeting with someone, and he said, you know, I started out as a pastor, and I realized that was not what I was supposed to do. And it made my heart so happy, not because he's not a pastor, but because he stopped trying to do something God didn't want him to do. I was happy for him. I was really happy for this guy. Then he went, you know what? I thought this is what I was supposed to do for God, but it's not what he wanted me to do. So I'm doing this now. And, and I was really happy for him. So we all have to seek out what it is, because it's not just unique people. We're, you know, we're all supposed to be serving God with the gifts that we're given, right? We all know that we are all given gifts. We all have gifts. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are given gifts. It's up to every single believer to find their gift or gifts and exercise them. If you are sitting by waiting for someone to tell you to go ahead, go ahead. Okay? I'm charging you. Charging you. <laughs> go, go ahead. There are a few passages... Um, that I want to look at. Let's turn to Romans eleven twenty nine. These are all meant to encourage us to be pursuing what the call of God is in our lives. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, Paul writes, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What has God asked you to do? Pursue it. Turn me to Romans 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Verse 27, now you are all the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all gifts have healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And as Paul wrote to Timothy in the beginning, in love. The commandment is love, right? And it's beautiful how he rolls right from that into the next chapter. Love is the perfect way. My encouragement to you is taking Paul's charge to Timothy. What I'm trying to get at through all these verses is find your gift. If you know your gift and you're not sure how to use it, that's what the elders are for. If you don't know what your gift is, but you want to find it, come talk to the elders. We'll pray with you and we'll help you figure it out. But no one should be complacent in the church. Everyone has something to bring, to give, to edify the body. Everyone. Everyone has something. It doesn't have to be public and known. There are wonderful things that happen here that nobody knows. The cleaning, serving of the food downstairs, the setup for the Lord's Supper. These are all services to God that are blessing the assembly. If you don't have one, we need to find you one because you're being withheld from your relationship with God. It's holding you back. Now what's interesting, how Paul tells now Timothy how to use what was prophesied about him and what he's supposed to do. Now keep in mind, before I read this, we're talking about inside the church. By them you may wage the good warfare. I, I get a little held back when we talk about warfare within the church. Don't like using words like that. We're supposed to be at peace with one another. Why, why would he say something like that? Because it's a spiritual war. Right? Because the enemy of God wants to cause division in the body. The enemy of God wants to bring outside forces into the body to disrupt it. The enemy of God wants to bring in outside teachers to bring false doctrine, to confuse people and lead them the other way. That's the warfare. The warfare is not between each other. Again, I believe that's why Paul gave those earlier verses in his writing to Timothy. Perspective. Before I send you off half-cocked, go take on everybody. Remember, we are all saved by grace. We are all saved by grace. We are not against one another. But it's a good warfare. It's a good fight. Protecting the church is a good fight. It's an important fight. And it's everyone's fight. It is. There, there, I'm going to talk about a little bit some of the responsibilities that the elders have over this. But if you hear someone teaching false doctrine or saying something, you need to speak up. That's not what we, that's not what we believe here. For correction. 
for edification, not for confrontation and for battle, right? We want to lead everyone into the righteousness and the right doctrine and the right word. Now, if someone's belligerent and, and just wants to argue, as Paul wrote in, in the earlier verses, then we don't associate with that person. There's only so much you can do with someone who wants to cause conflict. But I believe Paul's charge to Timothy is when you wage the good warfare, you do it in love. Otherwise, it's not a good warfare. It's the bad warfare. It's for confrontation. It's for separation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. There will be wolves who come in in sheep's clothing. There will be. Paul was in Ephesus, and he dealt with this stuff. Paul wrote a letter to Ephesus, and he dealt with this stuff. Now he had to send Timothy back to Ephesus to, and stay there to deal with this stuff. This is going to be a battle until the Lord Jesus returns. There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing who want to come in and bring false teaching into the church. And we will keep an eye out. We need your help. It's the responsibility of all of us to do this. He says, have faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. The good conscience. Our conscience is cleared when we come to know Jesus Christ. Then how do we do things that we do? Can we put our head down on the pillow at night and feel good about what we said today? What we thought today? Is our conscience clear? Because what Paul's telling Timothy is the way you're going to deal with this you can do what's right the wrong way. And that's not okay. You can't do what's right the wrong way. There's one way, and it's God's way, and it's Christ's way. Do all things as unto the Lord. When we're dealing with these things, we have to always maintain our integrity. If, if we allow these difficult issues and these difficult people to cause us to sin, we've lost the fight. Because now it's no longer about what the problem is, now it's about what we said and how we said it. We've, we've taken everything off the point of what really needs to be dealt with, which is the false teaching. The good conscience is critical. I'm going to look at something real quick and make sure I have the right reference in my mind. Turn me to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We may be never able to win over certain people to the truth of God's word. There may be some people who just will show them verse after verse, and they're just committed to whatever it is they want to believe, and we, can, we just can't change their mind. But what they should never be able to do is say, but he said this this way, or he behaved this way, or she behaved this way. Our conscience has to be clear in the way we deal with these things. 
it may affect someone else, right? How many times do people form opinions based on what someone says on things they don't know? They weren't, they weren't there, they didn't hear it, but they form an opinion based on what was said. Our testimony, our testimony is critical when we're doing these things. And those who have rejected the faith and do not have a good conscience, they have rejected the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Uh, one commentator, I, th- I think it was uh, McDonald, trying to and then write down reference, described it as losing, losing the compass. When, you, when you're on a ship and you lose your compass, you're going to end up shipwrecked because you don't know where you are and where you're going, right? We're not to be like those who are tossed to and fro by every wind and every wave. That's what the Word of God is. The Word of God and the truth of God's Word is the compass that keeps us on the right path. And these people that Paul is writing about have lost it. They're refusing it. They're rejecting it. I know my way, and this is the way. And they're going to end up wrecked. Wrecked. And that's what happens to everyone who does not follow God's Word. Our faith is the port. It's the safe place that we can always find home. Without without the faith, without the true word, we will be lost as any other. Turn me Ephesians 4, verse 14. Ephesians 4.14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We should not be those who are tossed to and fro. The word is the compass. The word leads us home. The word keeps us safe. Those who reject it will suffer shipwreck. Wish I had a better way of saying it, but I think it's so perfect. I'm not going to try and stop, uh, embellish on that. I think the, the picture in the mind of, of someone who's tossed, tossed around. Those who do not have the solid word to stand upon, they are tossed around, and they're going to end up on the rocks. Not just lost, you understand? Not just confused, wrecked. There's a severity to what we're talking about, to those who cannot follow the Word of God, refuse to follow the Word of God, and it's truth. Especially the core truth, which is what Paul's fighting here. There is one Savior for mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is going to lead people to wreck, to ruin. Now he mentions these two guys, Hymenius and Alexander. Two guys who have brought into the church or tried to bring into the church a doctrine and a gospel other than Christ alone. Now, this is the hard part. It hasn't been hard yet. We're talking about in the church, church stuff. This is church stuff. I deliver to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. The thing in church... Nobody likes to talk about, nobody wants to recognize or even consider 
is this horrible thing that has to be done when someone is so far from God that they have to be turned over to Satan. This is what we call discipline. And we always want to remember, first and foremost principle of biblical discipline is corrective instruction. We do not discipline because we're mad, we've had enough, and our patience has run out. As Paul says, that they may learn. Okay? Church discipline is for correction. It's for someone to turn their life around. Someone who is rebelling and insubordinate and just not willing to follow God's word in church leadership. They have open sin. Putting someone over to Satan is to remove their spiritual protection and to remove their church fellowship. It's to leave them exposed without any church fellowship and any church oversight. It's horrible. It's horrible. Um, We've had to deal with this twice here. I'll share this with you. We've had to deal with this twice. And there are so many blessings with being church leadership. Can't, can't list them all. And there are some heartaches. There are some heartaches that go with it. And then there's something like this, which I can't describe to you what it's like to be before the Lord on your knees saying, Lord, please don't make me do this. This is last resort. This is last resort, but it's for their good. It's for their good. If we say we love someone and we give up on them, we don't love them. We don't. But when someone is so far gone that this is the only hope for them to repent, in love we have to do it. We have to do it. No one wants to do it. No one enjoys doing it. And I tell you, the people who went through it did not enjoy it. But I did see repentance. I did see them come back repentant. How long it lasts is a whole other problem. But in the moment, I tell you, there was true repentance that could not be reached any other way because every other way was tried. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. I want to make sure we fully understand this, the concept. In Corinth, they had a problem. Again, these are wicked countries. These are wicked lands that the gospel went into. And in this instance in Corinth, the man was having a relationship with his father's wife, with his stepmother. And look what he says in verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. They were not dealing with the problem. And it hurt the church, and it hurt this person. But Paul tells them to deliver him to Satan, remove all spiritual protection, remove all fellowship, that his spirit may be saved. It's, it's very hard in these decisions when you know what the outcome is you want, but you're not sure what's going to get there. There's a lot of hope and a lot of faith. There's a lot of hope and a lot of faith, and that's where trusting the word of God comes in. My ways don't work. Only God's way works. I have to trust God. When Paul's telling Timothy, in faith, having faith, that means you trust God and do what's right in a good conscience. Obey his word and trust the outcome to him. I can't make anything happen. No one can make anything happen in anyone's life. Only God can. And when the word of God and when prayer, when intercession and everything else doesn't work, we leave them exposed and let their heart be broken so they come back repentant, restored to God. That's the goal. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 now. In Paul's second letter to Corinthians, the person's been restored. It worked. Look what he says. If anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Point is, they never stopped loving him. Right? He was put out of fellowship. He was turned over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his heart would be turned and he'd repent. They never stopped loving him. It's critical to remember that. If this ever has to be done, we never stop loving the person. We're doing this because we love them for their good. And now when they're restored and when they're repentant, they're to be embraced and loved and encouraged and nurtured so they don't fall back into it. It's important to remember that. It's the whole process. The whole process has to be remembered and encouraged. When nothing else will do, there's one last thing to do. And we trust God to handle it. When they come back, their love, love needs to be expressed so that they are received and encouraged. Okay? Thank you, Joe. All right. Now, what's the problem with these two guys? It is not sexual immorality. I think it's worse. They're blaspheming. Blasphemy, the word that everyone knows what it means, but no one can describe. What is it? Well, I don't know, but I know it when I hear it. By definition, it's to vilify, specifically to speak impiously, to defame, or to speak evil of. So let's think about this in this context. If these guys are coming to the church and they're trying to teach people about Jesus Christ, 
but they're saying you have to follow these legal principles to be saved. Their intent may be good, but their doctrine is wrong. So do we just say, well, it's bad doctrine. What are you going to do? Think about this. This never struck me until I studied this, this this way. Any teaching that is different than Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, and we are saved through faith and faith alone, is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's not a different doctrine. It's not, well, they have a different point of view. No, 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 no. Brothers and sisters, it's blasphemy. You insult the name of Jesus Christ, anyone who says there's a way to salvation other than Jesus Christ and Christ alone. This is not some, well, you know, they see things differently. No. It's blasphemy. If anything should get us upset, it's blasphemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is straight out wickedness. The Son of God came to earth and suffered on a cross as we worship this morning, the blood of bull and goats could not take away the sin of man. Only the blood of Jesus, and he did it once, and once was sufficient. Once was sufficient. So great was his suffering for us. And someone's going to say, you need Jesus and? That's blasphemy. It is Christ alone. Anything anyone says to keep your salvation... Well, you've got you to do works to keep your salvation. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. You're saying Jesus Christ was not sufficient to keep you, though he promised who's ever given to him he will not lose, but you've got to work to keep your salvation? That is blasphemy. Prayer to anyone other than Jesus Christ or in Jesus' name? That is blasphemy. There's one mediator between God and man. One prayer to any other is blasphemy. You are insulting Jesus Christ when you say you can pray to so-and-so and heaven will hear your prayers. That is blasphemy. Saying that Jesus was not eternal. Jesus Christ came into the world at birth and that was his creation point. It's blasphemy. It's an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. To say that Christ is not the head of the church. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Blasphemy can only be described as wickedness. However, I will encourage you, as you encounter these things, with a good conscience, comfort those and encourage them in love to the correct way with a good conscience, with love, having faith, trusting that God can do what only God can do. I can't change anyone's hearts. You can't change anyone's hearts. God can. But if we bring the, the word of God and the love of Christ the right way, we can change hearts because God can change hearts. We can bring God to them in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. But saints, let us not be deceived. There is no other doctrine. There is no other way. And anything else is not a different way of seeing things. It's blasphemy. I love the thought that Paul has. They are, he doesn't say, these guys are wicked and they're blaspheming, so let's burn them at the stake. He says, we're going to turn them over to Satan so that they learn. 
so they could be corrected, so they could be restored. Let's wage the good warfare. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's pray. Our loving God, we thank you so much. (laughs) We thank you so much. Each one of us, like Paul, have been saved by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Lord, each one of us needs to go forth in truth and love to serve our Savior, to serve our Lord. You have given each one of us gifts, Lord. May we boldly use them in any way that you demand to glorify you, to edify the church, to encourage and comfort one another. And Lord, may we all hold to the truth and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we not be afraid to lovingly confront the false doctrine, the false teaching that there's any way but Jesus Christ and there's any way to keep our salvation. We are sealed and we are secured. We thank you for that and we know it. It gives us such comfort in our hearts, Lord God. Lord, help us to wage the good warfare in a good way, in a good way. But may we remember that we have each one of us been given a responsibility to defend this place, to be aware of the wolves in sheep's clothing, to recognize those who come in with a different teaching, who try and cause division, who try and cause separation between the saints. Lord, let us be sensitive to this. May we lovingly but firmly deal with it in a way that glorifies you. Lord, I want to end this time just in remembrance and thankfulness for Jesus Christ who came into this world to save sinners. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great week.